We are continuing our series, a uh, four-part series on miraculous births. And this week we're going to be looking at the miraculous birth of John the Baptist. Have you ever waited for something for so long that when it finally looked like that you, you were going to get it, you doubted that it was really going to happen? Well, that was the case uh, for me in finding a wife. And the story, short, the short version of it, is that when I got out of prison, I was excited that I had become a Christian in prison. Uh, I thought that immediately after I got out, I was going to find a good Christian girl, and we were going to settle down and get married and all of this. And um, the thing was that happened, I began to have a mentoring relationship uh, with a man named Pete Lundeen. And I recognized that I was having issues in regard to relationships. All the relationships I'd had prior to going into prison were unhealthy. And so he began to speak into my life. He talked about a healthy relationship. He modeled that. I moved into their house and watched he and his wife. And then over the course of time, uh, as I began to talk to him about my desire to get married, uh, he really cautioned me to wait and to grow and to learn, to become uh, a pillar in the community, to buy a house, to get established in my work, all of these things. And at one point I told him, I will not date a girl until you bless it. And so this process began of me talking to him about different women that were in my life at church. And each time he would say the same thing. Let's take a season of prayer and fasting. And so we would fast and pray, and the answer was no, and no, and no, and no. Three years that went on. And I began to think, this guy is too picky, you know. <laughs> and so uh, Mary, at the time, I had met her when I first got out of prison and, you know, really liked her, and I thought she was great. Uh, but Pete made it clear that she was off limits. And she was actually dating somebody else when I uh, was in that kind of season of my life. And one day, uh, Sandy, Pete's wife, came to me and said, Scott, did you know that Mary broke up with John? And I was like, whoa, you know, the heavens opened. And I went to Pete, and he finally said, you know, Scott, you're a different person than you were three years ago. And uh, he blessed the relationship. Well, the interesting thing about that was he said, well, why don't Mary and, or, uh, Sandy and I meet with Mary? We'll have uh, dinner with her and just kind of see where she's at off the rebound with John here. And so she was not ready to date, and in fact, she was not ready for another 10 months after that when finally we went on our first date. And so when we read the account of Zechariah and the angel of the Lord's message about the arrival of John the Baptist, I think that uh, he probably felt that way too. It's too good to be true. It's never going to happen. We're too old. He was looking at what was physically possible. But Zechariah should have known better because he was a priest in God's house. He had studied the scriptures. He had read about the miracles surrounding the births of Moses, Isaac, and Samuel. It shouldn't have seemed impossible in his old age, because it seemed like God was in the business of doing that, taking those who it seemed impossible uh, to have children and giving them children. Nevertheless, he doubted and was struck mute because of it. Imagine Elizabeth's shock when her husband comes home from his priestly duties. He comes home from Jerusalem, he's mute, and then she's pregnant. And I'm going to spend a significant amount of time focusing on John's mission this morning because his miraculous birth, as miraculous as it was, was not as miraculous as the life that he lived. 
And so let's look at four main things that he accomplished, things that Leslie read about in that scripture lesson here just a moment ago. First, John came to call Israel to repentance. The first thing that we see here is that John came preaching, and his message was one of repentance. Repentance means to think differently, to do a 180, to change your mind, regret your sin, and begin to change your conduct. I want you to notice that right before the text here in chapter 2, we see Joseph, and he is told by an angel to return uh, to Israel from a place where they had fled. When Jesus was little, they ran away. They went to Egypt because Herod was trying to kill all those who were two years old and under to get rid of this new king, this Messiah. Now look at verse uh, 1 of chapter 3. It says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Well, Judea was the place where Herod Archelaus was there ruling in place of his father, Herod the Great, the man who had tried to kill Jesus. And so first we see he's right in the center of where hatred toward the coming Messiah is the strongest. The hardest hearts set against the Lord are in that particular region. Secondly, we see he's in the wilderness, or he's out in the desert. He's not there in the center of town. And some think that this was symbolic of the dryness of Israel at that time, and to remind them of those 40 years of wandering in the desert because of their rebellion against God. And I think that's why he's baptizing them in the Jordan. Because if you remember, the Jordan was the place where Israel came out of the desert and were baptized in the Jordan <laughs> into the promised land. They came through that time, and it was a time of repentance. They had spent that time in the wilderness, and they were coming out of it into the promises of God. And so here, John the Baptist is baptizing them in the Jordan, that very place that is very significant in the history of Israel. He's getting them ready. He's commanding them to change, repent, stop that selfish lifestyle and the sin that was going on. Because repentance always comes before saving faith. Belief in and of itself is not enough, as is indicated in James 2.19. It says, you believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe and shudder. And so first, one must acknowledge that they have done something wrong and that they need to be forgiven of it. They need to change. They need to turn. Many times when we are first Christians, we acknowledge this to a degree. But secretly, we say to ourselves, you know, I know that I have some sins that need to be forgiven, but they're not that bad. In fact, I have a lot to offer God. And that church down the road, I'm going to be doing them a big favor by becoming a Christian and attending there. Well, the longer that I have been in the Lord, the more I have come to realize that the words of Romans 7.18 really apply to me. And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I want to do but what is right, but I can't. Without the Spirit of God within me, there's nothing good. That's the only thing that's good within me, is the Spirit of God. When I follow the Spirit of God and do the things that he has commanded me and empowered me to do. Second, we see here that John came to straighten what was crooked. 
We see John crying out in the wilderness here in the second half of verse 3. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. And so John's ministry helped people to realize that the way of the Lord is straight and narrow. In fact, Jesus declares this in Matthew 7, 14, where he says, Small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. This verse has always troubled me, because you think that God would make his way easy, easy for people to find, easy for people to get into heaven. But instead we see here the very opposite, that it's a very narrow way. And we have this tiny portal, it seems, that leads to heaven and eternal life. And only a few are finding it. But instead of focusing on how I want God to be, I need to focus on how he actually is. And I have to present this narrow way. This is the way that I need to show to my neighbors and my friends. And it's nice that he even opened it up at all. He could have just wiped us all clean off the planet, right? Start over on another planet somewhere. And yet he did not give up on humankind. And that in and of, in and of itself is praiseworthy. In the modern era, many want to eject, uh, reject this um, idea of the narrow way. And in an, in an effort to be diverse and all-inclusive, supposed religious leaders, even within the Lutheran church, presume upon God to broaden the way. They want to make it more broad. And if John were alive today, we would hear him crying out in the wilderness, make the paths straight. Don't disqualify people from eternal life for the sake of trying to be nice to them and not to offend them. Jesus did not do that. Rather, he proclaimed that no one comes to the Father except through him. And it has to be the right version of Jesus, by the way. Last night we were hanging around the house and we were getting ready to go out and celebrate Cassie's graduation from uh, cosmetology school. And there was a knock on the door and there's the Mormons, the Church of uh, uh, Latter-day Saints. Two young men and we got to talking and I love that kind of stuff, you know, because they don't know who I am and they're like, you know, telling me all these things. And finally I'm like, okay, so how do I get to heaven, by the way? And, you know, started asking them probing questions. And I said, guys, look, I, you know, I, I'm glad you're zealous and all of this. I think you're zealous for the wrong person, though. Your version of Jesus, Jesus is not the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus of the Bible is God in the flesh. And you've proclaimed him to be a brother of Lucifer. That's wrong. You guys are on the wrong path. The third thing we see here is that John came to knock away excess this actually was a message that was more demonstrated, not spoken. We see it in verse 4. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. John was a descendant of Aaron, and he could have had all the privilege of serving in the temple like his father did. His father, Zechariah, was on duty bringing incense before the Lord in uh, that temple in Jerusalem. And he could have taken that up as well. He could have had all the privileges, going to all the parties, wearing all the royal robes and all of this. And yet here he is, out in the desert, wearing a simple camel's hair tunic and a leather belt that was reminiscent of Elijah the prophet. 
And instead of feasting with those leaders, the political leaders of the day, he ate food that the poorest in Palestine were eating. And this was part of John's message at the time, as well as a message to us today. It's not a message that acquiring wealth or enjoying a feast is wrong. In fact, Jesus was accused of being just the opposite of John, a glutton and a drunkard. Rather, the message is that preparation for the Lord sometimes requires knocking away the excess in our lives. When we have all these distractions in the world, the flesh and the devil, surrounding us, it can be much more difficult to hear the call of God. And this is probably one of the reasons why John was out in the desert. He didn't want all the distractions that were going on there to uh, distract from the message that he was proclaiming there. And there are different ways that we can knock away the excess in our lives in order to hear God's word more clearly. There's a few habits that I would like to present to you this morning as well here. First, taking a spiritual retreat. Spending some time getting away from all of this. Going out in the woods, whatever, wherever your place is that you can do that to just hear the Lord. And here's a big, big challenge for you, okay? Leave your phone in the car. Okay, that, almost impossible for millennials, I think, today to do that, right? We're always checking our phones. We're always checking. Whenever we're bored for a second, what happens? We pull out our phones, okay? And so, taking a retreat. Getting up early is another thing that's helped me through the years, especially when the kids were young. I tried to get up early before them so that, because once they get up, you know, there's all these distractions and questions and, you know, the dogs are up and everything's going on, the TV's going, people are leaving and coming and going and whatever. And so getting up early to hear from the Lord and to interact with his word. And then the third thing I would suggest is getting rid of stuff. John's life was pretty simple here. He didn't have much weighing him down. And the more stuff that you accumulate, the more it ties you to this earth. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with getting stuff. I mean, you look at my house, we've got stuff. However, once in a while, you need to kind of cleanse and purge, right? You've got all this stuff in the garage, and you've got two of this and three of this. You know, I heard the rule of thumb is if you haven't worn it in a year, give it to the thrift store. And so go through your closet. Get rid of things. And by the way, if you go to the thrift store, don't go in there. You know, just drop it off at the thing. <laughs> oh, I need all this other cheap stuff I can get too as well, right? Next, we see that John came to wake people up. I was talking to the kids in confirmation class this morning, and we were talking about waking up early and, you know, getting to church on Sunday, and we were talking about honoring the Sabbath. And one of the big excuses that they were talking about was, well, as young people, you know, this is our day. We, we don't have to get up for school. So we like to sleep in. And so, yeah, it is. I mean, I remember when I was young, I loved to sleep in. Now I can't sleep past seven of things. I just wake up automatically. But back then, you know, sometimes my mom actually had to throw ice water on me to get me up and so I wouldn't miss the bus. And so being abruptly woken up is no fun. However, if the house was burning down and somebody threw ice water on me to wake me up because I wasn't getting up, I think I'd be pretty grateful about that. This is essentially what John was doing here. I want you to listen to the last two verses of the Old Testament that were written approximately 400 years before John was born. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, 
and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. That was the last words that the people of Israel heard for 400 years as they were looking forward to the Messiah. 400 years for the Jews to ponder what the significance of that was. And now John is here bringing the same exact message. The wrath of God is coming upon the earth, but those who fear the name of the Lord will be rescued. Sometimes I think that in our society we're too worried about offending people to tell them about the dangers that are proclaimed in the Bible. When you're trying to rescue someone from harm, you're typically not worried about making a scene. And that neighbor of yours, they're not just caught in a fire in their house. They're going to spend eternity apart from God. They're going to spend eternity in hell. And there is a danger of spending eternity in a place apart from God's presence. And we act like we're embarrassed about the message that we carry now, don't be mad at me when I tell you that you're a sinner, right? I mean, I didn't say it. The Bible said it. Don't get angry with the messenger. Where's the urgency in that? We're more concerned about somebody's opinion of us. Well, they might not like us. They might be offended by us. They might not want to hang around with us. John was crying out in the wilderness, You brood of vipers! Who warned you against the wrath to come? Have you called your neighbor a viper lately? You know, No. But we're offended, right? He's calling out these hypocritical leaders. He's not trying to win friends and influence people. But for those of you who might say, well, John was the rough one, right? He was there to prepare the way for the gentle and merciful Jesus. Look instead at verse 11 and 12. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear the threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. Now listen. But the chaff, the unbelievers, he will burn with unquenchable fire. That doesn't sound like the nice, gentle Jesus. It's the consistent message for both of them. In conclusion, how do we apply this to us today? Well, God doesn't have a plan B for Lake Stevens. John the Baptist isn't out there on Highway 9 preaching the gospel. You are it. We are the body of Christ here in this area. We are the ones that are proclaiming the message. We are the ones that are making the way straight, declaring repentance. We are his voice. And during the Christmas season, we all want to hear about God's mercy and grace. And I know that this particular message seems more Old Testament, right, than New Testament. Fire, judgment, prophets in the wilderness. But I want you to notice that it is filled with the gospel, it's filled with grace because John came to prepare the way for Jesus, the Savior that was coming into the world. The way back to the Father had finally been revealed. And we still have the most amazing message in the history of mankind. A message that, by the way, is super easy to share at Christmas time. 
It's super easy to invite somebody to Christmas Eve service because they're thinking about Christmas already. They're probably not thinking of your version of Christmas, but it's easy to make that transition. When you talk about presents, oh, that reminds me of a gift that, you know, these wise men came from the east and brought to Jesus following a star. And so, like John, are you willing to step out and face potential persecution. John was beheaded for his message. And this is our mission. This is our purpose in the world. Not to just enjoy. And I realize, you know, Christmas Eve, we're going to have people here that are coming just to have a nostalgic experience. Right? But that's not us. Christmas isn't just one day a year for us. We are celebrating this birth all the time and proclaiming this. And so as you think about sitting down with your friends and family at parties and staff parties and all of these things, be bold. Proclaim that message. Don't worry about being offended. You might be surprised how receptive people might be to it. The world is hurting. People are looking for a solution. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you. And we see the message of John, a man who was not afraid to stand up. A man who faced death, Lord. Lord, help us to be bold. Help us to be uh, proclaiming that straight way, not broadening, broadening the way for everybody. And so, Lord, we just lift up these things today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this sermon series from Elam. If you are encouraged today, would you consider supporting our online ministry through a financial contribution? Personal checks can be made out to Elam Lutheran Church and sent to 11504 26th Street, Northeast, Lake Stevens, Washington, 98258. Or you can give online at elamlutheran.net. Thank you and may God bless you the rest of your day.